there's definitely things that can be uncomfortable in a partnership. But at the end of the day, you almost treat it like a marriage, right? You have a, a goal in the long run that you're trying to achieve. You have good days, you have bad days, you have uh, some t- tremendous wins to celebrate together. You'll have things where clients will escalate uh, all the way up the chain and you have to deal with that fallout. I am really excited to be introducing my guests for today. It's Michael Krantz from GoCardless. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Thank you. And Michael, in case anyone doesn't know you or doesn't know GoCardless, can you give us a quick introduction about who you are? Yeah, sure. So I've been with GoCardless about four years, and I'm the head of North American Partnerships here. Uh, So I oversee Uh, our top strategic partnerships in the North America region, as well as working uh, on growing out our partner ecosystem more broadly in a global global scale. Uh, And go cardless, just at a very high level. Um, We're the world's largest bank debit or direct debit network. Uh, Some people in the US would know that better as ACH. Uh, And we really strive to be, you know, the world's leader in bank payments. So expanding beyond just bank debit to things like open banking, uh, bringing in intelligence layers and things of that nature. That's awesome. That, I'm definitely going to ask about that in a second, about intelligence. But Michael, is that something that you kind of thought about when you were a little younger, a little earlier in your career? Do you think payments is the go-to industry that you want to go into and partnerships in particular? Um, and if not, how did you kind of make your way through your career? Yeah, well, I I absolutely had no idea that I would end up here. Um, after college, I went to law school, uh, graduated, took the bar, passed it, uh, so I could practice in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. And I was practicing civil litigation uh, in Atlantic City, New Jersey. Uh, so you fast forward 15 years, it's quite different from what I'm doing today. And I guess how I made my way over to payments and partnerships after about a year doing the uh, private practice uh, for personal reasons i moved to maryland and in the u.s you know each state requires that you sit for their own respective bar exam so i uh, I signed up for the bar exam and i needed some employment in the meantime and i was searching around for somewhere where i could be potentially an in-house counsel i knew i didn't want to do civil litigation anymore uh, and I, i landed at this somewhat small company that had a little startup arm and they needed someone uh, not only for the in-house counsel but they needed someone to help with the contracting and negotiation for their newly launched partnership uh, part of the business so while i'm waiting for my maryland bar result exams to come back the results i picked that up uh, fell in love with partnerships Three months later, I passed the Maryland bar, and then I had to call up my mom and say, I have good news and I have bad news. Good news is I passed the bar exam. The bad news is I'm not going to practice law anymore. I'm going to stay in partnerships because I absolutely fell in love with it. Um, and so that was 
that was the start into the software partnerships world. Uh, and then, you know, over the next few years, I moved into more of the uh, enterprise software and ERP space. And then Go Cardless uh, kind of came out of nowhere uh, four years ago. Uh, it was my first foray into the payments industry. And having been here for four years, I, I don't think I'll ever leave uh, payments. I think uh, it's truly fascinating to me, at least, uh, and something that I think will always have relevance and bring value. And it's it's fantastic. Right. And, and that's so interesting for so many reasons. Um, I mean, I, I think that background in law is very uh, unique. It's definitely another relationship-based business where you are spending a lot of time communicating. You need to be receptive to different styles of communication, understand who your audience is, whether it is a judge who is really challenging or if you are just negotiating a small contract and, and you have to have a gives and gets kind of mentality to it. But payments, um, I mean, that was new to me when I started to look into payments is learning how partnerships heavy it is. I mean, we think that ERPs are very heavy on partnerships, but really payments is maybe 10 times more because all business happens through partners, whether it is for payment gateways or different ERP networks or e-commerce. So that probably allows you to practice a lot of these skills. Do you find that there's a lot of transferable skills from your past life to this one? I, I would say there are. Uh, some are enjoyable, some aren't. Uh, I think every partnerships job I've ever had, uh, that first few weeks of onboarding, for some reason I'm helping out reviewing contracts and doing things of that nature, which is uh, enthralling, let's say. Uh, <laughs> but there's definitely some similarities. I think I also would highlight some of the differences and probably the reason that I shifted from the legal profession to partnerships in software, which was in the in the legal world, um, you know, it's it's very confrontational. You're rarely suing someone to become best friends. Um, you know, you have opposing counsel, so that can be combative. You have the certain decorum you have to have in the courtroom with the judge. Uh, you have your own clients, which sometimes is very combative because they think they know what's best and you have to let them know what's best. Uh, so it, I found it was very taxing, at least for me and for my personality. And when you, you know, when I got into the software partnerships world, uh, I found that, yes, there's definitely things that can be uncomfortable in a partnership, but at the end of the day, you almost treat it like like a marriage, right? You're you have a an, a goal in the long run that you're trying to achieve. You have good days, you have bad days, you have uh, some t tremendous wins to celebrate together. You'll have things where clients will escalate uh, all the way up the chain, and you have to deal with that fallout. Um, but overall, you know, you're maintaining a relationship that is long-term, hopefully, uh, and you're working together. Um, I can remember a number of times where I'm writing my email address down, and instead of signing it, you know, at GoCardless, for example, Michael Krantz at GoCardless, I would put the partner's name, because you're working with them so mm -hmm. much, it almost becomes second nature. Um, so yeah, it it's definitely, for 
for people who value those relationships, it, it's quite key. Um, and I, I would even differentiate it from other relationship-based roles within software. So sales, for example, um, very, very good salespeople will maintain relationships for a long time. But unfortunately, maybe those green or newer to the space, they, they treat it as, as a one-off. So unlike partnerships, which I said was like a marriage uh, that is longstanding, uh, they may treat it as a first date and you're just hoping to close the deal. Right. Yeah. It's, it's very transactional in that way. And I think that's, uh, that's the difference is that you are working for something long-term you're working for a mutualistic when it's funny, you mentioned, um, the combativeness between lawyers. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but this is a fun fact about British Columbia, which is the province I'm based in, uh, lawyers here in, in court, referred to each other as my friend and mm -hmm. um i once sat in on a on a couple of cases because my fiance used to work in the supreme court but that's a story for another time and just hearing them call each other my friend is interesting because it almost forces lawyers to not be as combative they're thinking about finding a solution that is a mutual answer you're kind of going into that mentality um and i think when we talk about partnerships, just referring to someone as your partner makes you want to have that win-win scenario. Um, so I don't know if maybe because sellers are thinking, okay, I'm selling to this person. This is the main objective that I have. They just do that and don't think I'm their success manager or mm -hmm. I am investing in their ultimate win. I want to highlight how my customers are doing better because of my solution. Uh, there's probably something to that, the, the nature of how we think about the relationship from the start. Yeah, I think, uh, well, first off, Canadians are very polite. So uh, it's, <laughs> not, it's not surprising that my friend works its way in there, although I'm sure sometimes it can have a, a, a twinge of uh, sarcasticness uh, when saying it. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, within sales, Again, it's it's the difference between the good and, and the average or poor salesperson, whether it's just transactional or longstanding. In a lot of instances, you do have salespeople who treat that sales cycle in a partnership type way. They'll even call their customers their partners. Um, mm -hmm. It's not just getting the booking or closing the deal. It's, you know, leveraging the relationship for future growth on both parties uh, sides, because, you know, frankly, uh, if you're working on meaningful deals, if those deals work out, not only does it help the client, not only do you get paid for it, there's chances for upsells, there's chances for expansions, there's chances for referrals, there's chances to cross paths again uh, at different points in, in both respective parties' careers. So um, I think you can apply the partnership mindset to many different facets of uh, you know software industry. Um, it just seems to be worn on its face in partnerships, calling someone a partner uh, and having those expectations of working together for quite a long time. Yeah, that's and, and it's interesting how partnerships are in different ecosystems. I mean, right now, GoCardless is entering the Microsoft space much more strongly than ever before. Um, I know that, Michael, you're instrumental uh, in, in building that, especially in North America. Have you found that there is a growing role for partnerships um, over your career? Is that something that is 
uh, more and more a priority, especially for companies that go cardless? Yeah, I think there's definitely, and there's various reasons for it. Um, if you look at kind of the macroeconomic state of the world today, um, it's, you know, it's quite sad. You, you turn on the news and you, you hear Amazon, let's go of 20,000 people, or you hear of all these layoffs and cost cutting measures that companies are taking. Um, but the, the companies still have, you know, high growth expectations and aspirations. Um, so how do you grow? Uh, you bring on more clients and you expand your customer base. There's only a few ways to do that. Um, you know, you can hire uh, an army of salespeople and hope that they bring on those uh, those new clients, but that's quite expensive. You know, you have a salary, you have benefits, you have commissions to pay, um, and it's really a one-for-one one there on the growth. If you can pivot, however, and, and look to your partner network and really leverage them to help you grow. Um, you know, at Go Cardless, we have many wonderful partners where they're bringing value to their customers by introducing them to Go Cardless. And those those customers will sign up for Go Cardless having never spoken to anyone at Go Cardless. Um, so you can really grow at scale by leveraging your partners, uh, which is a benefit to someone like myself working at Go Cardless. But for the partner, it's also you know valuable because at the end of the day, what what really makes a true partnership work is there's a an exchange of value um, from my side of the table. It's growing my customer base, growing revenue, etc. And from the other side of the table, it's hopefully solving for needs that are unique to the partner. And if we're able to both achieve those things. It's a win-win. We we both grow our customers, we both grow our revenue, and we do it a lot faster that, than if we're siloed trying to do it ourselves. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Um, I had another partnerships leader a few episodes ago. Her name is Susan Tommy. Um, she works at EY, so a, a bit of a different angle for partnerships. But one thing that she highlighted is how marketplaces are really growing in importance and so even though we're expecting partners to ha- customers pardon to have that um, approach of not talking to someone, there still needs to be a catalyst. And so partnerships still occupy a really important position in the selling cycle. So I found it interesting. You mentioned sometimes partners are creating a joint value with each other. Um, you're not necessarily talking to the customer before they buy because you're getting that trust being built by the other partner. Do you do you have any thoughts about like how marketplaces are going to impact partnerships? Do you think that that's going to help partnerships become even more of a revenue generating function? I, I think there's two sides of the marketplace coin. Um, the, the first one is uh, there are many companies out there who have a marketplace. Um, where they will allow for a company to build an app or what have you and and join that marketplace. And it may even be an app or solution that is competing to something they have natively built within their solution. And you would think, well, why are they doing this? For example, GoCardless, we deal with uh, ACH. We partner with uh, some companies who offer their own native ACH solution. Why would they allow us into that marketplace? And we found that 
you know, a lot of times it's the customer of the partner who is requesting specific vendors, right? So having uh, the marketplace, even for a competing product, uh, kind of satiates the needs for certain clients. And if you have a happy client on your solution, hopefully they're they're using you uh, full stop. But if not, you want them to still use you instead of going somewhere else where they can get all the bells and whistles that they want. So that's the one side of it, which I think is a positive for partners, even when there's a competing solution. The, the other side of it is it, it can get quite crowded and can be quite confusing. And it is difficult to, you know, get your voice out there. So, you know, if you look at some marketplaces where they have hundreds or thousands of different apps or solutions, I mean, it's like the wild west there, right? Some mm-hmm. are really built well, some are built quite poorly. Um, how do you capture, you know, the market when you're one of many? Um, that's where it becomes a bit tricky because you'll have some partners who will promote you, some who won't, where you have to grow organically. Um, and, you know, you see some of the success stories and it brings new entrants and just makes things crowded. Uh, so at the end of the day, what it, it takes time, but you just have to make sure whatever solution you have in a marketplace is really well built. It has as close to the full feature set that a direct customer of yours could get. Um, and you treat them like your direct customers. You know, you give them the same support, even if they're going through an app in a marketplace, uh, as as you would treat them if they were just buying from you or using you direct. Interesting. And I, I do like that you mentioned sometimes we have like that cooperative relationship where there's some compete, there's still something to win in. I find, especially in those cases, you have to be very deliberate in understanding what the customer's use case would look like with you and your partner and how the customer is going to use the two solutions, what that mapping looks like, and then be intentional with who you choose to partner with because not every single partnership is going to result in the same wins. And so having something to not necessarily hold them accountable, but at least have a target win um or target customer persona that you're going to uh go for that helps a lot with clarifying where we're competing where we're working collaboratively and not create uh, additional friction so i wanted to ask michael like what is your philosophy for creating these mutualistic partnerships where you have a known uh, success criteria you have a known target that you're aiming for and then you can look back and say, okay, this partnership that I built resulted in X amount of growth or maybe something less tangible, but we know exactly what we were aiming for with it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. There's probably um, a few things that, that I would say come to the top of my mind first. Uh, the foremost one would be you have to know what problems you can solve for what people. So identifying the right partner is key, or right prospective partner, rather. Um, There are tens of thousands of companies that have great names that look like they'd be a good fit that turn out maybe not being a great fit, right? So you have to focus, uh, otherwise you spread yourself too thin. uh, And when when you're scattered like that, it's hard to invest the right amount of energy into a specific relationship to achieve whatever results you're trying to reach. 
Um, the, the other thing is, you know, I don't mean to like belittle all the different things that many different providers offer, but sometimes things are can be seen as very vanilla and very straightforward, um, but it's taking a step back and and seeing what differentiates you and, and making sure you offer that. So if you take ACH, for example, which is something that GoCardless does, basic ACH payments have been around for decades, you know, over 50, 60 years. Um, why are there hundreds of companies, uh, if not more, and why are there more companies uh, popping up offering this if it's just moving money from a bank to a bank there's little nuances of what the solution does that really differentiates it um so it's identifying what's the need within the market having a product that's purpose-built to solve for that and then you know using that information to find the right partners so it's it's both sides of the coin it's building something that's needed and then finding uh, who needs it and, and tailoring what you're offering to them. Interesting. And that's cool that you're talking about the customer's need. Maybe I'll I'll start with this question. How often do you talk to um, the customer-focused teams at GoCardless? Like, do you talk to customer success or direct sellers very often and learn about what really are the customers asking about when it comes to the product? Absolutely. Um, it's probably it's probably one of the my most favorite things about being in partnerships, but it's also probably what gives me the most gray hair. Um, when <laughs> you're in when you're in partnerships, um, what I found is the key to being successful is you have to be attached to all parts of the business. Um, you're not just finding a partner, signing them, and then having a weekly meeting. Uh, you know, you want to be involved in everything from the integration build, from the feature requests, from the marketing uh, in, in the GTM strategy to the sales cycles, especially for key strategic deals, especially early on when you need to prove to the partner that your company and the value you bring is really invaluable. Um, so, you know, on a weekly basis, I'll be talking to every part of the business within GoCardless. And then it even extends itself out to at the partners, uh, you know, regularly meeting with their product team to work on integration enhancements or with their marketing to plan what's our next 12 month plan to go to market together um, or their sales team so that you can enable them to speak intelligently, at least on a, a surface level about what GoCardless plus the partner solution brings to their clients. Uh, so it's being collaborative internally and externally is I think the first rule uh, to being a good good partnership uh, person. Interesting. And do you find that there are cases where maybe you have to incentivize partners? I think enablement is a really key part of it because it has to be easy to understand it, but there also has to be some element of engagement where you're essentially competing for share of mind for partners and you want to make sure that they're promoting your integration. Do you find that that's something you run into often right now? I run into it often and I have somewhat mixed feelings on it um, because I mentioned this before. I think the driver for a relationship should be bringing 
you know, mutual value. Uh, so if you look at what value the that my company that I work for, whether it's GoCardless or anywhere else, brings to a partner, that should be the driving force uh, behind what incentivizes the partner to bring that to their merchants, because it truly should solve a pain. Now, in doing that, you're not going to ask the partner to do that uh, no strings attached for free. Some instances, I'm sure that happens. So there's various ways that you can structure, you know, incentives or commercial models to promote, uh, help promote uh, your company within a partner's, um, in, you know, partner ecosystem. But I think it it varies partner to partner. Uh, it has a lot to do with partner culture. Has a lot to do with what their, you know, ambitions are. Um, for example. You know, you can do a, a revenue share, which is a very standard uh, commercial arrangement in a partnership, which is great for the business. But if I'm an account executive at the partner, why do I care if the company I work for is getting revenue share if it doesn't impact me? Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I want quota retired uh, for myself if I'm selling a partner solution. Maybe I want a spiff. Um, but, you know, those things, whether they work or not, it depends a lot on the specific partner. You can offer a spiff to a partner where you say, if you sell my product through your platform, you'll get X number of dollars. We, I've tried that and it's had great success. I've tried it and not one person has, has taken up that offer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's many reasons for that. A lot of times, if I'm an account executive working for a company and I have a quota, my number one goal is to hit that quota, overachieve on it, get my uh accelerators and keep my job uh, a two thousand dollar spiff sounds great but i'm not putting at risk all those other things so um if you can get a strong enough relationship where a partner's product retires quota for you that that's massive it's it's rare but it's definitely doable um or you know you forget about the dollars and cents and you look at uh you know what value is the product bringing to the partner's sales team, let's say, that helps them. Maybe there's, let's say there's two competing ACH solutions. One is, uh, they're both equal on the feature functionality side, but one is priced half as much. The AE is gonna sell the half as much one because then their customer potentially in theory has more money to spend on their solution versus just the ECH product. So it varies dramatically from partner to partner, even from industry to industry. Um, and it's something that I would say uh, the, be- the best way to really address it is early on um, when you're creating a partnership. Because once the agreement is signed, it's it's difficult to change the mindset within an organization, even if you restructure the commercial arrangement, uh, which may trickle down to the different business units within the partner. Right. And I'm hearing you kind of reference it time and time again in in what you're saying, but I don't think you called it out. It seems like partnerships, uh, to to be a successful partnerships leader, you have to have a lot of empathy and to understand what the person in front of you is looking for whether it is a customer, whether it is a partner, and kind of try to find that mutually beneficial solution. Um, 
and understand and talk to them and do the like weekly check-ins and everything like that. But people are not always going to tell you exactly what they're looking for from day one. So do you open up and, and ask them um, straight away, like, hey, what is your strategy for the next year? How can we make sure that we're working collaboratively to win? Maybe, like you said, they have a compete strategy and they want to use the partnership as a differentiator or as a bit of a moat to retain their customers and say, hey, we have an integration with this partner with GoCardless, for example, and um, our competes do not have it. Um, so do you ask your partners what they're looking for? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I've, I've worked with many partner uh, folks who I'm shocked they don't ask. One of the first questions I'll ask once I've established a relationship with a, you know, someone on the partnerships team at a, a partner is, what are you, uh, what is, what are your metrics you're measured against? What's your incentives? What makes you look good? Um, and you'll be shocked at some of the things that you find out. Um, and then you can kind of factor those things in. Um, you know, for example, uh, Go Cardless, we're a payments company. We work a lot with different billing platforms and subscription management and invoicing platforms. And so the partner teams on their side, they can be measured on a ton of different things. They can be measured on the amount of revenue share that's brought in by the partners. They may not be measured on that at all and may be measured on the inbound uh, pipeline that partners bring to them. While GoCardless is a payments company, typically a payments company isn't referring deals to a uh, you know a billing platform, let's say. Um, we're kind of the, at the tail end of the, the cycle, just processing the funds. Um, but I make an effort to keep my ears and eyes open so that if I hear uh, one of GoCardless's merchants says they have a need for a specific use case, do we have a partner that could help solve for that and try to send it over to that partner? Sometimes it's just a goodwill gesture. Um, you know, it wouldn't affect me financially at all or, or the partner measurements that we have internally. It may not affect that at all, but it's still something to do because I know uh, in some instances the person on the other side values that. So ask, I would never, I would say, don't be afraid to ask. Um, obviously do it in, in an appropriate way with uh, someone you've established a relationship with. Um, but yeah, you, you want to become close with someone and learning about them and what their needs are and listening to them, that's, that's key. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I like that you said, don't be afraid to ask. I think um, especially like if you have established the relationship, maybe a lot of people shy away from that because they want it to look like they already know what the person's looking for. But you're not going to be able to predict it because everyone is different. Every company is completely different. And so asking is probably the best way to establish and you show that you're actually interested. Even if you have a suspicion about what the person is really interested in or what their goals might be, it's good to ask because you show that you're thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, who are you closer with, an acquaintance or a, a very good friend? You're closer with a very good friend. Uh, between an acquaintance and a very good friend, you're going to ask the very good friend some of those questions that, you know, might feel uncomfortable or might, uh, you know, not be something that you would ask the acquaintance, but it's 
it's kind of similar in the partnership world. Um, you know, if you built that relationship, there's nothing wrong in asking, hey, you know, what's for the next 12 months, what are, what are you focused on? What's the partner team really uh, aiming towards? And can I help at all? And they have every right to say, you know, I, I, sorry, I can't share. But in the instance where they do share, you have to, you know, latch on to that and, and keep an eye out for ways that you can help them. And, and this goes beyond just the um, the existing partnership relationship. I've built many, you know, lifelong relationships that have uh, gone from different places I've worked and I've stayed in touch and uh, have gotten help and have given help to many folks that I've met over the years because we had those types of conversations that were more than business transaction it was on a more personal level. Right. Yeah, partnerships is such an interesting space. I think there's so much to interpret. It teaches us so much about like human relationships because you're kind of doing that day in and day out. You did mention, Michael, earlier on intelligence and adding that into payments. I did want to ask back about that. It's probably the number one discussed topic in the world right now. But how is AI changing payments? Are you seeing an impact on that? Are you seeing that partners ask about that more often? Yeah, um, well, I'm definitely seeing it more. Um, whether partners ask, I would say uh, it's, uh, it depends. Um, it depends how in tune the partner is with the payments world. Um, but it definitely is something that is coming up more and more. Um, for example, at GoCardless, you know, we have a, a, a intelligence suite of products that address some of the key pain points. So in payments, some of the big uh, issues you want to avoid are failed payments, for example. Um, the more failed payments there are, the the worse your business is going to do, and that's um, exponentially uh, impactful in a recurring business or a subscription business. Uh, you know, you have a payment that fails in a subscription model. Well, you're not only losing one payment, you're losing all the future payments. Um, so we, you know, GoCardless has built out a solution to address that, which is proprietary investing class, not to get too, you know, self-serving <laughs> sales here. Um, but then other topics such as fraud prevention, um, that's a big one as well. And really being able to automate these, these uh, solutions and leverage you know, machine learning and AI, it's a value add that I think pays off uh, incredibly uh, quickly uh, and also, you know, reduces risk and saves money. So it's it's definitely the future. Um, who knows what's going to be around in five or 10 years, because I couldn't have told you uh, five or 10 years ago what today's world would look like, but it's definitely heading in that direction. I think will continue to grow. Very cool. And and there's a lot of changes in North America anyway with payments, right? With even direct debit is more and more being adopted. I mean, we were running on paper checks not too long ago. So it's definitely a rapidly transforming space, but there are still some people who are laggards, people who are maybe a little more scared. So what are your thoughts on that? How can people and companies especially adopt new technologies when it comes to payment without feeling an additional layer of risk that's a that's a fantastic question and i think the answer lies in a clear and simple uh, explanation of 
what it is you're trying to achieve and addressing it to not only one uh, one segment or one group. So for example, checks you'd mentioned. Um, a check, you know, so written on a piece of paper uh, and sent from one person to another or business to business. And it's essentially moving money from bank A to bank B. Uh, what is an ACH payment? What does GoCardless do? It moves money from bank A to bank B, albeit digitally uh, with, well, you know, there's three parties involved aside from GoCardless in the movement of the money. There's the partners platform where all of the merchants activities are managed. There's the merchant and then there's the payer. You need to be able to articulate to all three why migrating away from checks, let's say, to something like ACH or GoCardless is beneficial. And each different persona has a different thing they can gain and you can alleviate a fear or a risk for each of them. So uh, in this example, if you take the, the partner for, for example, you want everything the partner does to happen within the platform. If they're using a natively integrated payment gateway that's digital, like GoCardless connected to the partner platform, you're keeping all of the money movement and the transactions in there. If they're in checks, there's no visibility. You have to manually reconcile everything. Uh, it's forcing the merchants to leave the platform to do their business, which is not ideal for the partner. So the message there is you want everything online on the platform of the partner. Then if you look at the merchant, uh, you say, well, when a, a check is, when you send out an invoice for a check, you have no idea where that money is. You don't know when it's coming to you. You have to have a accounts receivable team dealing with that, chasing you know missing payments. If you bring everything online to the partners platform, you can manage it all from there. You have full visibility of all the reporting, um, and typically the DSO or the the cash flow is reduced dramatically. So you're addressing uh, potential concerns there of the merchant. And then from the payer perspective, you know, think about the person who has been writing checks their whole life. Why would they change? Uh, they may have a fear that someone's going to take money out of my account that I, I didn't authorize. We have to educate them and let them know that, well, actually, with this specific payment solution, there's protections in place to safeguard you from that. Um, you don't have to go to the post office. You don't have to get a new checkbook. Your life can be easier. Uh, you can be protected. You can save a few cents on some stamps. Um, and you're achieving the same end. You're moving money from one bank to the other. So it's all educational, but making sure that you're presenting it in a way that's digestible in a, a clear and, and simple manner to, to multiple parties involved in that process. Yeah, it's so cool how you connected all these dots. It kind of brings us back full circle. You said at the beginning that partnerships are like a marriage and not just a first date. And I think um, the way you're talking about selling payments or eliminating some of these fears, it's almost like you're <laughs> you're like on a dating profile or something where you think about the assets that you have, the uh, requirements that you have, the standards that you have for yourself in a relationship, what the person's looking for and you mix and match. It's just a matching exercise, but you're really able to do it in a way that resonates, you understand the communication style that the person's looking for, and you're meeting them where they are instead of just hoping for the best because that doesn't work, especially when you're trying to lead innovation. 
Uh, absolutely. And I, I think that's kind of, that's definitely, you know, I mentioned it previously, that's part of what drew me to partnerships. Um, just my personality, I like to be in that, that kind of a world. And, you know, I mentioned it before, it, I think it's the way that makes makes businesses move in meaningful ways at scale at reduced costs to companies. So if there's a, a pro side on the, the business angle, but plus also a, a personal enjoyment that I get out of it, it's really, it's worked out great so far for me. Glad to hear it. Michael, what about if someone is wanting it to work out great for them and they are interested in uh, partnerships, maybe this person is not starting out with a law background because I think you are fairly unique in that respect. But what advice would you give someone and what things would you have done differently if you could redo your partnerships journey? Well, if they're if they're not starting with uh, the law degree, then kudos to them. They probably don't have a mountain of student loan debt to start with. So <laughs> that's, uh, that's a definitely a good starting point. Um, but I, I would say that to crack into partnerships, I, I've seen uh, folks that come in from a variety of different roles from, you know, uh, they were an AE, they were a CSM. Um, I even was on a call with someone uh, earlier today who started out uh, with an engineering background and they said, I want to be where the action is. And so they moved into partnership. So the first thing I would say is anyone can do it. Um, uh, even, you know, you'd think you'd have to be uh, an extreme extrovert. Um, that is not the case. I am exhausted at the end of every day because I'm not a, a true extrovert. I'm, I lean that way, but I have many friends and, and relationships in the partner world who are true introverts, um, but it's the satisfaction they get from a few meaningful relationships. It's not required of you to have a network of 10,000 people. Um, that doesn't hurt, right? The more uh, at-bats you have, the better it works out, but uh, really, I would say it's being able to throw yourself out there and and not be afraid to learn. So I will, you said, what would I do differently uh, absent the law degree uh, piece of it? But I would actually say when I was in law school, you, you start in your first day, you don't understand a single word they're saying. There's all these new terms. There's all these new phrases uh, and you have to learn them. Right. And it's the same with with. Uh, partnerships in software. How many acronyms are there when you start at, uh, at a software company that you had no idea what they meant? Just ask, right? Partnerships is a world where you should never be afraid to ask, whether it's asking uh, someone on the other side what their targets are, what they're measured on, or what success looks like for them, or whether it's asking, you know, we're building this integration, you're sitting on a call and you don't understand the technical aspect ask about it because six months later there might be a customer support ticket that comes up that speaks about it and now you at least are familiar on a surface level and because you're kind of playing quarterback across all the different parts of the business marketing development support etc the more information you can gather the better so really acting like a sponge um, is is key to it but don't don't be afraid to ask there's there's every opportunity to do so and take advantage of it because that will only help you. I, I love that advice, Michael, and I I personally appreciate it, but I'm sure everyone uh, else who's listening to this does too because sometimes it can feel like uh, there's a fair level of gatekeeping that happens 
within our industry for sure because there's so many acronyms uh like you mentioned with law it can be intimidating but no one knows it uh innately like no one's born and thinks abc one two three um okay now i know what uh abm is and now i know what all these different acronyms are um and, and they're just born with it so it's it is important to ask i i think that's so valuable it's important to feel the safety and and the comfort level to ask but also you need to invest in your own growth and and chase after the questions and answers yourself um so i i really appreciate that yeah there there is one other thing now that i'm thinking about Mm -hmm. more that i think is uh really valuable and this was mentioned to me a few years ago um very casually by one of the partners that i was working with and you know, in my space, a lot of times I'll receive referrals from our partners and, you know, I'll respond the second I get it. Uh, doesn't matter when it comes through. The partner has a need. If it's a quick and easy thing, I'll respond to it with an answer. If it's something that I don't know the answer to, I'll at least respond and say, let me look into this for you. Because what I found is, um, you know, a platform or a, a, a company will have many different partners and they are going to go to the ones that get not only give them the most value but that work with them in the best way and this person who i was talking to said yeah you know i i'd sent you this referral and you got back right back to me right away yeah i thought that was just par for the course and and she had shared you'd be shocked i will send some referrals to this other partner and they take four days to get back to me. And it makes the partner look bad to their clients. So you have to keep in mind that what you're doing is in part for the partner, but it's also an ex- by extension for their customers. So I'm not saying work 24-7 and uh, don't take vacation. Um, but what I am saying is, you know, give give your partners the attention that, uh, you know, they, they deserve and they respect and that will pay dividends as well even for something as small as you know a tiny referral 100 percent agreed yeah it's investing in their success like we've been saying i think it's being easy to work with uh making sure that you make them look good that's all just gonna get you repeat business and so not being short-sighted um not thinking okay i'm just gonna transact on this and leave uh, right away that's that's not the best way to make a successful marriage, um, to, to continue that analogy. Uh, I think it, it makes sense to like consider what makes them successful, what makes them want to work with you again, and and definitely empathizing um, again with what the partner is looking for. So that's, that's all super valuable advice, Michael. I, I really appreciate you sharing this uh, with me, with everyone who's listening to this. Um, I know that partnerships is such a beautiful ecosystem. Everyone's always so helpful, but um, this is definitely above and beyond. I I really appreciate you hopping on and um, thank you for sharing all your insights, your really interesting story about starting with law um, and for everything that you do for this community. Uh, Thanks so much, Kyle. The pleasure was all mine. 